Hey there, folks. Welcome to a special episode of Allocation Disorder. Obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic, the coronavirus outbreak, whatever you want to call it, uh, wreaking so much havoc around the world, there's a lot of stress. I know I, for one, uh, you know, anxiety is up. Um, I'm a little bit on edge. Um, so any distraction that I can find and any funny stories and laughs that that I can find in this kind of weird day-to-day existence that we're all now living in um, is very welcome for me. Um, so what we wanted to do is is have another episode where we kind of tell some funny stories uh, from our from our careers covering soccer in the U.S. Um, Paul Tenorio and I did one of those, of course, last week for you, um, but we wanted to open up to the rest of our athletic colleagues this week. So I spoke with Pablo Maurer, Matt Pence, Meg Linehan, Felipe Cardenas, and Jeff Reuter. Uh, they all told me some funny stories. Uh, I told some of my own that, that they sparked in my memory, uh, and, and I had a really good time doing it. I hope you have a good time listening to it. Uh, but without any further ado, uh, go ahead and enjoy this special episode of Allocation Disorder. And remember, stay safe out there. I am here with Jeff Reuter, the Athletics Intrepid reporter of all things Minnesota United and USL and a lot of other good stuff, uh, stationed up there in the Twin Cities. Uh, Jeff, how's it going today? It's uh, it, it's good. It's warm for Minnesota. What are we talking about? Like 15, 15 degrees, 20? <laughs> We're talking 45 and Ooh, partly cloudy. Tropical. Um, all right. Well, it's- before we bore too many people with too much weather talk, let's just get straight in. I think the people, they need something to cheer them up, maybe make them laugh. So, Jeff, give me some of your give me some of your top stories from your years covering the game. Uh, let's let's start with the weekend of the 2017 MLS Super Draft. So has anyone told a Super Draft story yet? for this episode um you, you know p- pulling the curtain all the way back you're actually the first person i've talked to so no all you great so for listeners who have not been to an mls super draft one you can't go anymore it's no longer rest in a, peace i really though rest in peace it's just a draft now it's not it's not a super con- it's a conference call it's not an event it's in a, person anymore. it's a memo it's a memo right so basically what the super draft was like was that on the media side of it, you would get there 48 hours before the draft, usually. And that Thursday night, teams are still kind of taking themselves a little seriously. They're trying to make some deals. They're just wrapped up the combine usually that morning. So they're, they they need a good night of sleep. Uh, the night before the draft is just kind of a free-for-all. And there's coaches, tech directors, uh, agents, media members, fans randomly at this hotel lobby bar uh, who are all posting up, checking in with each other, seeing what's going on, uh, just not taking uh, their jobs too seriously for once because, come on, you work in professional soccer. You're all together. In this case, in Los Angeles in 2017, why would you be so buttoned up? Uh, What's curfew at that point? So it's the night before that super draft in Los Angeles, 2017. Uh, Context, it's Minnesota United's first super draft. So I'm out there with uh, Wes Burdine at the time working with Northern Pitch in 55-1. And we are in the lobby. We're chatting with a few other people. Uh, I won't name too many names in this one, but we're, we're, we're talking to uh, some sources, just some friends we hadn't seen in a long time, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, Bruce Arena walks into the hotel. And, and Bruce Arena uh, had just been appointed as the U.S. men's national team manager. This is, this like is before Kova, Kuva. This is before the World Cup failure. So Bruce is not persona non grata at this point. 
Absolutely. And everyone, I mean, he's replacing Jurgen Klinsmann too. So at this point, he's whatever the opposite Con- of He's persona. a conquering hero. Yeah, he's persona grata. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, <laughs> he's, everyone's just so happy to see Bruce's back. And he's wearing a full tracksuit, as I remember it. He's wearing, with the UN's men's national team logo, it might have been one that he'd still have from like 2006 that he just kind of kept in the closet. And he was just so excited to wear out in public. <laughs> everyone's talking with him and see him it's like oh this is so cool but i would never approach bruce arena i have nothing important to address with bruce arena so we just let him go uh we get about 15 minutes in i have to use the men's room so i walk in and it's, it's a weird hotel men's room in the lobby where there's two urinals and i'm about to walk and i see this man standing at one urinal wearing a u.s men's national team track jacket uh and i realize it's bruce arena so I have the, the ethical question of do I stand in the other one, no divider, or do I just wait? And considering he'd just been appointed, I decided to wait. So I'm standing behind <laughs> You Bruce. waited. You didn't go and oh. you didn't go and do your business. Oh, of course not. No, I can I can hold an extra twenty seconds if it means that we're gonna qualify for the twenty eighteen World Cup. I feel Cup. like I feel like that's more awkward to wait. Like it's awkward to not wait and go stand next to it, no divider, right? But I feel like it's more awkward to wait. Uh, correct. It was more awkward to wait. Making it even more awkward was afterwards when he's done, he flushes uh, and he I just kind of give a nod and say, Bruce. And he says, how are you doing? And slaps my back. Just oh. full. Is this pre, pre hand wash? Pre hand wash. And this is in a, you know, a pre coronavirus. We're not washing yeah. our hands. Couldn't, hot, couldn't happen in 2020. That's for damn sure. No. Not at all. It, you know, this this might have been, it, it, I mean, it might have been hours, right? And he clearly only had coffee that day to drink. Uh, it was pretty apparent as soon as I, I got to do my <laughs> business. Uh, and, and Bruce Arena is just back there. He does wash his hands. I can tell you Bruce Arena is a hand washer, even okay. outside of moments of crisis. That's good. Important, um, important note. It is an important note, I think. But mm-hmm. that was, uh, I, I don't know if in that moment I should have known the U.S. wasn't going to qualify for the World Cup based off of that alone. I don't know if there was any... <laughs> I should have read into that and really sort of evangelized. But uh, that was, I guess, one of Bruce Arena's first actions as U.S. men's national team coach in 2017. That's a hell of a story, Jeff. And it actually reminded me, it sparked a memory that I have of Bruce Arena from that same time period in Los Angeles at that combine. I went out with a few friends. I was working for MLSsoccer.com at the time. And a bunch of us went out to a bar down in Manhattan Beach, I think. And Bruce was there and kind of holding court at this table with some folks. And, you know, we said hello and yada, yada. And he was kind of in full Bruce mode, which was pretty awesome. But the the other part of the story is I actually got cornered at this bar by Jeff Kassar. And he was wondering why uh, there wasn't more positive media coverage of Real Salt Lake and him. He was then the head coach of RSL. And, you know, I was sort of explaining to him a whole bunch of different things and making excuses and being like, Jeff, you know, like just Salt Lake doesn't doesn't move the needle that much. You guys have been decent, but you haven't been great, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, I think three games into that season, he ended up getting fired. Um, Mike Pecky was also there, I believe, in some sort of like... I don't know if it was Affliction exactly, but it was an Affliction-esque <laughs> t-shirt for sure. Great. Good. Um, Good. You got anything else? You got any You got any other stories for me, Jeff? Uh, from the 2017 season, we've got, uh, I don't know if people remember this, but Minnesota United was bad at defending. Ooh. Uh, were uh, they ever? 17. They were, they were not good at playing defense, which is half of the game of soccer. So <laughs> they had had a home game against the Seattle Sounders in the summer. 
Uh, I think they lost it 4-0. It might have been 4-1 late in the game. I'm, if they lost 4-1, I'm just going to go out and limb and say Johan Venegas scored a pity goal when it was 4-0 down. Um, Seattle goes through that second half. They're just kind of sleepwalking. That game, I think Jordan Morris had broken like a 12-game scoreless run, 9-game scoreless run, something ridiculous. He was relieved about it. Um, and so at that point, Minnesota United, again, bad at defending, wasn't doing very well in terms of winning and losing or winning games, mostly losing games at this point. So I go to the Seattle Sounders locker room instead of the Minnesota United locker room um, for a different publication I was with at the time that Sam also used to work for uh, at the same time, MLSsoccer.com. And so I am <laughs> going to be writing about Jordan Morris breaking his duck. And I say, OK, who else do I talk to for Jordan Morris? Well, maybe I just talked to Clint Dempsey, because why mm. wouldn't you talk to Clint Dempsey if he's an option at this point? Because so, he's not going to talk to you. That's why. Well, you would think that. But what went in my favor was that the Seattle Sounders staff, probably at like halftime, decided that they would order pizza for the entire team uh, after the win. So by the time they get to the locker room, by the time the media is open to, to go and do <laughs> interviews, uh, there's just, I don't know, like 25 extra large boxes of pizza on a table uh, from a local Minneapolis uh, pizzeria. And I mean, it's a New York slice style. It's not square cut. Uh, They're not monsters. Not square cut. Midwest right there. Oh man. Bringing me back, Jeff. (laughs) You gotta come back, man. You gotta come back. I know. Well, yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait. But um, they're, they're eating and and Jordan, very nor- nervous, but very relieved. So he's addressing questions. It's in kind of a scrum. There isn't really local media that had flown out at this point. So it's just, you know, team staffers and myself interviewing Jordan Morris about scoring twice against Minnesota United. He didn't seem terribly pleased or satisfied. Might have been the opponent. But he, uh, we, we finished that. And I'll, I asked for Clint Dempsey. And they're like, yeah, he's just over there sitting down. And Clint at this point is wearing compression shorts and a training penny. And that's about it. Um and Clint is eating probably about a third of the way through a large slice of sausage pizza. Mm-hmm. And I, Clint, do you have time? And he says, yeah, between bites. Keeps eating. Um, and so I, we keep asking questions. It's just, you know, really simple. Like, you know, how important is this for a young player? What have you seen in standard, Jordan? How, standard post-game stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So at this point, then Clint gets up mid-interview, walks to the pizza boxes, calls out, you want one? I say Yes. So for the rest of the interview, Clint Dempsey and I are eating slices of pizza. We're in the <laughs> Seattle Sounders locker room, the stadium, the football stadium. Um, this, the content of the interview was forgettable, but the interview itself was fantastic. You know, I believe the postgame pizza is a Sounders tradition, if, I wanna, if, if I'm correct. I don't know when exactly that began, but I know they do it, I think, after every game or at least after every win um, now. And in fact, at MLS Cup last year... Um, I was in their locker room after they won, after they beat Toronto FC at home. And I think, yeah, I was interviewing Stefan Fry and Chad Marshall, who had retired due to injury mid-season, was elsewhere in the locker room, probably like 10 feet away from us. And there was another guy, I can't remember who, maybe it was Christian Roldan, uh, 10 feet to the other side. And Chad Marshall is standing there with a pizza box and he's taking slices of pizza and he's lobbing them over our heads. Um, at Christian Roldan and just throwing slices of pizza at him as everyone's celebrating in the locker room. And in fact, I'm interviewing Stefan Fry and one of these flying pizza slices is going over our heads and a piece, <laughs> like a glob of sauce just drops down and hits Fry, who was not wearing a shirt <laughs> right in the shoulder. And I just start laughing and he kind of gives me this look and I'm like, sorry, you just, you got some sauce on your shoulder. So there you go. Sounders, pizza, good times. How many times did you... Slice pizza. You seem like you'd be a pretty, you know, sizable target. 
for some of those slices. Um, I was not hit by a slice. Uh, Chad, I, I think he was only throwing them at people he knew. And, and I think I've spoken to him on the phone once, but he certainly wouldn't know me by sight. So no no slices came my way. But uh, maybe next time. Who knows? Um, all right, Jeff. Anything else? Uh, that's all I've got. Wash your hands. Stay safe and uh, be good to each other. That's all I got. Wise words from Jeff Reuter. Thanks so much for joining, man. This was fun. All right, next up in our series of fellow athletic reporters who we're talking to to uh, have a little bit of fun, ease the stress of the of these times, is Pablo Maurer. Pablo, how's it going, man? It's good. Just trying to stay sane. Yeah. Same as everybody else. Yeah, just like the rest yeah. of the world, right? Um, well, hopefully yep. uh, hopefully we can help our listeners achieve that. You got uh, – I know you got some funny stories for me. What you got for me, Pablo? Uh, these are these are stories about my time covering MLS. I'm, I'm assuming that you want, right? Um, I mean, yeah, te- th- theoretically, you know, if you want to get weird with it, like maybe we can get weird with it. But <laughs> but let's start with I'm MLS so and and you know DC. For those who don't know, Pablo covers. He's based in DC. Covers a lot of DC United as well as a bunch of other things around the league. But primary beat for years has been DCU. So what? Yeah, let's let's start. There. I told you the other day. Yeah, I told you the other day the one that one that jumps to mind immediately is uh so Chris Corb, who I think you you legend he, he just just barely missed the cut on our cult here. I mean, he just 11, had the right? he just had the unfortunate um, fate of of playing the same position as Nuhu, so he didn't really have much of a chance. But if he was in any other spot on the field, I think he would have. Qu- been very quickly, can you tell me why you were eager to include him on the Cult Hero Eleven? Yeah, shin guards, man. I don't know. It's general aesthetic. That's like just like everything about <laughs> him. Aesthetic. Yeah, it's general yeah. aesthetic. Like I don't know. I just, I just look at Chris Corb and I'm like, yeah, like I'm into this. Like, like something about him just speaks yeah, to me. Long, he was along for the ride, man. I can't really he put my finger on it, but something about him just speaks to me. Yeah. Um, well, Chris Corb, obviously, I think he retired, uh, I want to say two or three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Chris, I've known kind of off the field, even during his playing days, he picked up on the fact that, for those of you who don't know, I worked on cars like 18, 19 years. Every, and, um, everyone knows, Pablo. Uh, why don't you know i don't know who actually listens to this the six people that are gonna listen to this you know what i mean um so anyways uh he he picked up on that and started talking to me and he's like hey man i you know i built this you know i sort of build race cars as a hobby on the side and i was definitely interested hold up Um, he builds race cars he yeah i mean he's like he's a he's a gearhead is that the term yeah yeah, I mean, uh, we don't use that phrase. Gearhead is just like I'm going to start calling <laughs> I mean, you a gearhead. <laughs> God, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, gearhead would be the you know, it's like the equivalent in cheesiness of saying like the beautiful game. You know, be, oh, okay. like if your mother was like my my son Sam writes about the beautiful game, and you'd be like, Mom, nobody calls it the beautiful game. Um, uh, I would be anyways, if uh, you said that actually, but whatever. Yeah, yeah Cor- <laughs> Corb goes on to tell me that he has the the fastest Eagle summit in the United States, right? For those of you who don't know, and for, I, for the non gearheads listening for you, non gearheads out there. If your, your fingernails are too clean for the story, um, <laughs> wash your hands. Uh, an Eagle summit is like a, you know, like eighties, nineties, sort of just like the most generic little compact import sedan you could buy. Like I mean, what, think what, like, like what could you compare it to? 
you know, like a late 80s, early 90s Toyota Corolla, something like that. Ooh, you know? All right. The car that everybody drove in high school is what yeah, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I had a Saturn um, myself. Wow. Plastic. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, SL, that, that car broke down on a remote stretch of highway outside of Snowville, Utah in 100 degree weathers with a with my parents' cat inside of it. That was a fun day. <laughs> always, uh, always partial to Saturns. I grew up in Nashville and they were manufactured right around there. there Anyways. Um, we digress. We could talk about your childhood for a long time, but we'll, we'll come back to Corb. Uh, he's like, you know, I had the fastest Eagle Summit in the United States. And I'm just like, oh, that's crazy. All right. So How does one even you know, make that claim? Sorry, I'll stop. I mean, I just don't think there's a lot of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, even even if it wasn't that fast, it probably would be. But he shows up at the. This is back when I was freelancing. He shows up a couple of days later uh, uh, outside of the shop that I worked at. He's like, "Hey, you know, like it's lunchtime. You gonna go for a ride?" I'm like, "Sure. You know, why not?" This car is uh, first of all, it's fully caged, so it has a roll cage in it. It's so, like right right wow. off the bat, I'm like, "All right, this is an actual, you know, like." The drag strip makes you weld a roll cage into the car when it's below a certain, you know, when it's above a certain speed. So, so right then and there, it was like, okay, great. I, I climbed through the window, <laughs> the passenger door, because the body is is like sealed. I, I, for those of you who don't know, in like three hundred pounds, I basically <laughs> like am sitting on top of a racing seat because like my, I don't fit in the bolsters um, <laughs> with no seatbelt on. So he just he just uh, here in in Virginia he. Um, Gets on 495 right at Van Dorn Street. And he's like, all right, cool. You ready? And I was like, yeah. And he just, uh, you know, sort of brake boosts the car. You know, like gets the the boost to the turbocharger spooled up. And, dude, it was like this, this is – you're talking to somebody who's worked for – I worked for Ferrari for years. I worked on exotics all the time. I've driven, you know, McLarens, Ferraris, a, a, an Enzo, all these exotic cars. None of them – like Chris Corb's Eagle Summit would walk, <laughs> walk away from these cars like it is this it was the scariest experience i've ever had in my life in an automobile the blood literally was in the back of my head and like my feet <laughs> i remember like my feet came off the floorboard when the boost uh hit in and i couldn't press them back down on the floorboard that's how like it was like straight out of the fast and furious yeah, i was gonna say is, is this you know chris I mean? corb or chris corb toretta um did he give you yeah, like exactly. a big a like, big motivational right. speech about about family and living life a quarter mile at a time and all of that stuff or yeah, yeah. I looked over and all of a sudden he was in a in like a an A shirt, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. sleeveless. Um Yeah. But no, so um so that remains like the scariest uh the scariest experience I've ever had in a car and it was with a, a DC United player. That is an amazing story. And you know, now yeah. that now that I think about it, Chris Corp you know, he looks like he could maybe be like Paul Walker's cousin or something like that. Uh rest in peace to Paul. Rest, of oh, rest in, I'm sorry, race in peace. Race in peace, Paul. Oh wow. If, uh, <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, uh, I'll rattle off a couple other ones real quickly, sure. Because I know you probably have other other staff members to get to. Yeah. Um, something that reminded me, like not far from that shop, there was a night I want to say in 2012 or 2013 where I was just like, um, Claire, the person I've been with for 10 years, we we were at um, we were bored one night. We're like, let's just go to an Outback Steakhouse. Blooming onions, no rules, just right. Let's go. Right. So for the for the purposes of this piece, I'm going to make it sound like it was something we did once, even though it's something we probably do almost every month. So don't don't, don't we, feel shame about this. Yeah, yeah. Outback's delicious. We're at this Outback Steakhouse and I hear this voice from behind me in the waiting area. And it's just like, Pablo, what's up, man? And, and I turn around and it's Nick DeLeon. And <laughs> Nick, Nick DeLeon and his, I think, then fiance, not wife, were just 
he was like, man, I love Outback. This is my favorite restaurant, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Nick DeLeon's yeah, like, Nick DeLeon's from Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. I think does, so. that, does that yeah. shoe fit or what? Huh? It does. Last one is, um, you know, like I, uh, I, I have no idea how to say this without sounding like like an idiot. If I'm out at a bar, like I will, you know, every now and then I'll get recognized yeah, by you're a very, United. You're a very or, famous you know, major league something. soccer reporter. You know, you're a big deal. You're a big deal. Just say it. You're a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Usually, when somebody recognizes me, I'm I'm like immediately filled with sadness for some reason. Yeah, I I try and run the other direction. I'm like, no, (laughs) No. exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know, so I start talking to them, and usually it's like I've I've learned also to talk to those people because sometimes they have stories or anecdotes or even information. Um, This person was just like this was at the pug on H Street. Maybe last month, and the guy's like, you know, recognize me. Um, he 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 leads with the most important thing, which is like I subscribe to the Athletic, <laughs> which <laughs> um, which is a good to, good to hear always. And then yeah. he's like, oh, you know, you know what's wild is I own a painting by Ben Olson, and um, Ben Olson is a painter, by the way. I wrote yeah. about this for the yeah. Washington City paper a couple of years ago. He does um, like abstract art. Um, uh, Do you think he's ever painted Chris Corb's Eagle Summit? He, yeah, it's just a, it's just a blur with my face like screaming <laughs> at the master, like let me out of here, please, Chris. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, this guy's like, and I'm like, oh, you know, that's cool, whatever. You know, Ben auctions off his paintings sometimes and sells them sometimes, and he goes, I'm gonna show it to you, and and like I just like I said, Ben's paintings are abstract, so it's sort of one. Those like you know, you you see what you see in them, sure. Type of deals. Yeah. And he goes, um, he goes, yeah, you know, like I don't know, maybe it's just me, but what I see in this photo is Donald Trump, and he's holding his, you know, whatever his junk, his his genitals, you know, his genitals. Yeah, do we got to keep it? That's the G. This is a, this is a PG show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was like, no, that's ridiculous. I look at it and I was like, I look at it, and I was like. Like, huh? I mean, I do kind of see it. And then, uh, like after training, you know, a few weeks later, I asked Ben, "Hey, uh, you know, do you know so and so?" I ran into this guy at at this bar, and then um, I asked Ben. I said, "Is this, you know, is this like he tells me he he tells me that he thinks that it's you know this, the, the yeah. president of the United States holding his whatever." And um, and Ben is like, "Oh yeah, that's absolutely what it is." <laughs> <laughs> Just very matter of fact. Like, wow. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, MLS. What a league, huh? Just Sam, beautiful. Have you, have you told any stories? Um, not yet, but I'm going to. Well, that's actually not true. I have told some stories. Yeah. We've gotten some Tucson stories. We've gotten some uh, Chad Marshall throwing pizza stories. Do you have a K-Dog story you want to share real quick? Oh, my God. So many K-Dog. I mean, <laughs> K-Dog, like, it's not so much that I have the stories. It's more just, like, kind of his being, his essence. But for those who don't know, K-Dog, it's his real wild. name's Kevin Harder. He's been a kit man, uh, equipment manager, a.k.a., um, around MLS and, and USL for basically the entire since mls came online in 96 he's been with dallas he's been with salt lake he was in madison last year he's in birmingham the dude is a legend uh great guy hilarious guy like just an insane character um i'm trying to think of like the best way to describe him he was in our story pablo he made an appearance um as someone that 
that the Dallas burn would throw into the ceiling. Can, can I guess something? Can I guess something based on like your description of K Dog? Is he short? Uh, he strikes me as- no, he's not really that short. He, he's probably like five eleven or so. He's very thin, like insanely thin. Oh, okay. okay. So here's something about K Dog that's amazing. <laughs> um, he finds a way or found a way for much of his career to work his way into like the starting 11 photographs. So, you know, like when the, when the guys go on the field, like right before kickoff, like after the national anthem and they do their little, like little two row photo guys in front are crouching. K dog would always get himself in that picture, like with the starting 11 and everyone would just be like, who is this guy? So if you go on like the photo services, like just be standing there or what? No, he would be like in the formation with them, like arms around like one of the players, like he, like he was about to go onto the field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How the players feel about that? Like they loved him. They loved okay. him. They didn't care. Like he was just it's just the dog, man. So I used to work for Salt Lake. I've mentioned that in a different interview on the show. But yeah. um so I was there, so that's how I got to know K Dog. And um he had this slogan. It was We Ride Till We Die. He plastered <laughs> it up all over his office. I think he had like the little like Livestrong wristbands. Um guy hooked me up with so much gear too. Great dude. Um, K-Dog but, can be found on Twitter, but but most of his tweets are incredible, about, um, incredible Twitter account. Roll Tide. Um, <laughs> hashtag we're ready. Yeah, we're yeah. ready. Roll Tide. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember when he came on um, at RSL for the second time. This was the second time. I think he had re- he replaced a guy named Mike Fratto, who had replaced a guy named that I only knew is Sling Blade. Um, but that's a different story <laughs> entirely. Um, and I think that, yeah, Jeff Kassar was the coach at the time, and. I remember him telling people that that bringing K Dog back would be like adding a, a designated player in terms of his locker room impact. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> oh that's that's K Dog. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for that, Pablo. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this has been fun. This has been fun. Thanks for joining. Um, hopefully, we brightened your day a little bit. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining, Pablo. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right, take care. Continuing our series here, where we talk to other reporters and other our colleagues about funny stories that they've experienced throughout their careers, we now have Matt Pence on the line. Matt, of course, does a great job covering the Sounders and the league as a whole for The Athletic. Uh, Matt, how's it going today, man? Doing well. I'm still hanging in there in lockdown Seattle. So uh, yeah. there's actually a construction site across the street from my apartment, which is probably like the worst possible timing, but I'm still trying to maintain good spirits. Yeah, I actually have one of those right across the street from my apartment as well. So, hey, um, but we're all hanging in and hopefully we can uh, deliver a few laughs on this podcast. So what lay, lay it on me. What's what's a funny story you've you've experienced throughout your career? So I think that you share my affinity for the Tucson training camp site um, that oh, yeah. the league has been going to forever. I just remember it's always just kind of been like, especially living in Seattle and getting down there for a couple preseasons in a row. Um, you would leave Seattle where it had been rainy and 40 degrees for like four straight months. And you get to Tucson and it's just like 70 and sunny. And there are these happy college kids everywhere. Uh, And it just always felt like this oasis in the middle of winter. And so I started covering the team in 2014. Um, And even though that doesn't sound that long ago, I feel like the league has just kind of shifted and changed and grown so much in the years since that back then, I mean, it really did feel very informal and not necessary. Minor league would be a little bit scratching it, but it was certainly compared to like the other major professional leagues in the U S uh, very lax. Um, and so the standout story that I remember, 
Um, it was my first year covering the Sounders. This probably would have been the the winter of 2015. Um, and I'm down there, and there's this strip of bars near campus, uh, the University of Arizona. And I was just hanging out with a couple writer colleagues, um, and we were at this bar. And in walks uh, Chad Barrett, who was a forward for the Sounders at the time, and Luke Mulholland, who was playing for Real Salt Lake. Uh, and it's them and like four or five what appeared to be undergrad girls from the University of Arizona. <laughs> uh, and they're all just kind of hanging out as a group. Uh, they were clearly kind of getting after it on the town. And I'm sitting there in the corner and Chad comes over. And again, at this point, like I hadn't been covering the team for super long. You never really have a great sense um, for how the players feel about you. Um, but Chad like comes over to the table, gives me like a handshake hug. And like five minutes later, he sends over a round of shots for the table. That's good. Um, That's good PR strategy yeah. right there by Chad Barrett, by the way. I know. Right? That's how you build the relationship. So, all, yeah, all he you, sends all over you got to do is buy drinks for the writers. That's all you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really easy in that way. Uh, so he sends over the shots. Uh, him and Luke do them with a group with their group of girls that, that they were out with. Uh, I ended up probably leaving the bar at like 1030 or 11, something like that. And they're still just there, like clearly had no intention on going home anytime soon. Um, And so the next morning at practice, like I'm there and I see Chad and I'm expecting him to look a little bit worse for the wear. But like it was like nothing had happened. Like he was just running around. He was in high spirits. I mean, I probably looked way up and he's just like like nothing had ever happened. So that guy can really kind of get out. They are elite athletes. Yeah, that's true. They, yeah, they, they definitely have that. So that was kind of my 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 informal oh, welcome uh, to MLS. Well, that's a pretty good informal welcome. And it reminds me of a lot of stories. I think I went to Tucson at one point for preseason five years in a row. So I'm very familiar with the stretch of bars that you're speaking of. Um, and for listeners that don't know, I once upon a time, I used to work for Real Salt Lake in their PR department. And this was years and years and years ago. But players... Uh, on those teams <laughs> a few of them lived at those bars there's this one place that's still there uh called frog and firkin and uh one player i remember it frog frog actually you know what i'll just go ahead and name him uh, i don't think he would be too upset uh nick Ramondo. um he won some like try every beer in the bar challenge over the course of a week like it was like 75 different craft beers over however many days and they gave him a t-shirt for uh for pulling that down so (laughs) um a lot of stories a lot of guys would uh they would put on like those snapback hats and like tank tops after training and just like go walk around campus and pretend they were students uh i think several of them ended up at at different house parties around tucson for for college kids that they were having maybe some of the younger guys on the team were going to those (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of good times down in Tucson uh, for preseason. It has changed a little bit um, in terms of how teams do it now. Now they all stay at the uh, the fancy resorts kind of in the foothills, which are about a half hour from, from this area of town. So not many of them are getting out. A lot more seclusion, um, you know, nice hiking trails, that sort of thing. Uh, teams are keeping their guys under wraps. They don't want to let them have too much freedom. But, uh, yeah, definitely some fun times down there. That's definitely something that I will mourn um, if the league ever does kind of get to a point where it's like alongside the top leagues in the world, like they always talk about it. If it ever progresses to that point, it's obviously 
a net gain for soccer in the U.S. And that one, <laughs> I think everyone is kind some of, of the charm will be gone. I will mourn the loss of innocence of being able to like drink with these players during preseason camp alongside this like stretch of college bars. But I just there was something very charming about that. Yes. for sure. Yeah, there's there's a romance there. No doubt. Just drinking in the desert with some guys making league minimum. Nothing like it. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, all right, Matt, you got anything else for me or is that all? Yeah, I guess it's just in general, it's kind of crazy how quickly the, the sort of tone has shifted to a degree within the league. I don't know if you've kind of noticed that, too. But it's like, yeah, even in the amount of time I've been covering it, the league minimum went from, what, 30 grand um, to what, close to 100 now. And I just think it's yeah. kind of shifted the dynamic. Um, in a really quick way, like yeah, I, just, I would agree with that. Remember, like Christian Roldan, um, whenever he first came out of the University of Washington and was making, I think he made a little bit more than the league minimum because he was he a, was a homegrown a, player. He was GA, right? Generation Adidas. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, he probably did okay. Money, um, but he he had come out of college after his sophomore year and it got drafted by the Sounders, so he's staying in the same city. Um, and so he was living still in his college house. Um, his first two years with the Sounders <laughs> while like, his buddies are still going to class every day. Um, and Christian's just there hanging out. And like, That's I fantastic. did like it. So I heard about this and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be like a great story. If this is this like Greek row frat house. Um, but, <laughs> he like, probably had up, it neat and tidy, huh? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like Christian's like a very buttoned up guy. Um, and like apparently like I go up there, like lets me hang out with them for a night. And they're just like playing FIFA out and just like very very tame yeah um in a way that like it, it was cool it, but it, it's just another reflection of like how many other professional athletes are living in college houses and this was like three years ago <laughs> i mean he might um, he might have been the only one for all we know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um that's just, like, that's wild things like that really like yeah it just really shows just kind of the state of the league at, at the time and i think that that's changing pretty drastically but i kind of like those those little I don't know, nuggets that kind of show you that. And it's also, uh, I'm sure that you're, you've experienced this too, but guys just tend to be super down to earth in general compared mm-hmm. to, I've been lucky enough since I've been out here. It's a, I covered a lot of the Seahawks Super Bowl run the year that they, they lost to the Patriots and dip in on Mariners and a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but just like the overall tone of dealing with MLS players is just so different. Yeah. 100%. Whether that's just like not being as close to the pinnacle of their game or just not having as much money and kind of having to deal with normal adult problems like the rest of us, but just the overall tone uh, is just so different. And I think appealing in its own way. I agree. um, That obviously has trade-offs. I agree. Um, And I think that's a very good observation. I think, I think part of it is uh, the kind of middle-class domestic player was a little bit more secure back in those days. Um, Whereas now maybe they're, they're feeling a little bit more heat. Um, in terms of playing time, in terms of their roster spots. Um, and those were the guys that I think you're talking about, Matt, in terms of the guys that are kind of driving that, that feeling, that charm. Um, and I think we're starting to see a, a bit fewer of those guys, at least per team around the league. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, that's great stuff, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hopping on happy to man um I, I love these type of stories and yeah and just to put another shameless plug in for your guys' untold history from the other day but i thought it was amazing so <laughs> well, I well thank you if they have it was it was fun it was maybe the most fun i've ever had reporting the story so um it was a good time for sure but thanks matt appreciate it man anytime man okay 
continuing our uh, little tour around the athletic soccer staff writers. We are now welcomed, welcoming in Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, how's it going, man? Hey, Sam. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Felipe, of course, covers Atlanta United and a whole bunch of other things for us on the site. Um, and, you know, it's it's a weird time, Felipe. That's what I've been discussing with uh, with all the folks I've been talking to today. Um, and so we, we kind of just want to tell some funny stories and uh, and get away from the stress of the world, at least for a little bit. So um, on that note, you got any good ones for me from uh, from your days covering ATL? Yeah, I mean, I'm game for that. I think we all could use a laugh. Clearly, we all miss the game. I've been talking to a couple of players, and man, they miss it too. So, and it, I, it's funny that when I start talking to them about soccer or anything that they like the past or a previous goal or something, you can just hear them over the phone. Like, they can't wait to get back. They'll talk about anything. So, I mean, Atlanta's an interesting team. Um, you know, it's not clearly it's not the only team in MLS that has a heavy Latino influence, but. I think in this like new 3.0 MLS that we're in, they, they kind of ushered in this like new culture, right? Like a lot of South Americans, like that Argentine, the new school of the Argentine way of playing. And so it, the locker room is interesting for us that cover the team. I think for all reporters, when we step into an MLS locker room, it, there's like this brief moment where it's really awkward it's like right when you walk in <laughs> yes <laughs> finally that you go in you know it's like it's tense even if they win i mean this has nothing to do with a win or a loss like there's always a, a brief moment where you're just like you feel like they don't want you in there and so it's because they don't uh, clearly they do not want us in there let's just be honest <laughs> <laughs> um and so i remember that this was earlier this season um no i'm sorry this is late late last season 2019 so and before playoffs i remember so we finished with frank DeBoer, which is the process like the game ends we go down to the the press conference with the, with frank DeBoer, and when that's finished they they tend to open up the locker room so like mls rules say that there's 15 minutes right they give you 15 minutes before uh from the time from the final whistle please allow 15 minutes and then they, they open up the the locker room so clearly i mean if you think about that and you're a player 15 minutes is nothing like after a game, like you're, you're not ready to just be like, all right, right. like I'm ready you to probably spend the first five or six of still on the field, you know, you're on the field or, or, you know, you might be just crashed physically and you kind of sit there and you think, or you, you take your time taking off your, your boots or you talk to a friend or a teammate, you discuss the game, whatever. But yeah, 15 minutes is like, it just goes by so fast. So all of a sudden I remember late last season, uh, one of their staffers kind of yells out, all right, media is coming in. You know, the 15 minutes has, had been had been had come up and I was walking in like for the first people are in are the TV crews. They're always there. They don't go to Frank DeBoer's press conference. So they're like first in and I was walking right behind a TV crew. And all of a sudden I just heard Joseph Martinez yell out, I'm going to start showing you my balls. <laughs> I'm assuming in Spanish. In Spanish. He okay. says it in Spanish. And so no one hurt, like no one, only me and like two other guys that are Spanish speaking reporters of that speaker understand Spanish. Like we both looked at each other like, oh man, like Joseph def is definitely not talking to us today. There's no way he's going to talk <laughs> was to us. Was this a good game? Was this a win? Did he score? Was it a loss? Do you remember? This was, a, I think it was a, a win maybe. I know it wasn't a loss because I I, I don't remember it being that, like the the, the tense the tense nature of a loss in locker room is like palpable. I can feel it. But this one was just like a regular, we're just walking in. Um, and Joseph, listen, Joseph has scored, you know, two goals or had a hat trick. And he, he looks like he wants to punch you when you walk into the locker room. So it has nothing to do with his performance. But that day he was just like, and he was still at his locker. He, he was still at his locker. He had his back to us. 
and he was in a towel and he would just like basically saying like, man, like give me a break, you know? And like, so it was hilarious because none of the, the TV crews, like, of course they didn't, they don't understand Spanish and they just kind of like walked in. They didn't care. They probably thought he was, you know, yelling at someone, a teammate or something. So, but I remember, man, like I was like, geez, man, this, we're, we're not getting anything out of Joseph today. <laughs> and, and I'm assuming you did not. Did you even attempt to talk to him that day? No way. I didn't even get, I mean, <laughs> you stayed the hell away. Huh? <laughs> I, I, think, I think that day he actually, um, while we were kind of like walking around the locker room looking for players, he sat at his locker on his and just like kind of thumbed through his phone. Um, yeah. and, and I, he was say not this, like, he wasn't. Yeah. And I, and I tend to say this, not like, Oh, like, you know, I, I know Joseph. Well, no, I know Joseph just as well as anyone else that covers the team, but I feel pretty good about like saying, Hey, what's, how are you doing? And that day I was like, I'm not getting near this guy. <laughs> it's not, it's not. Yeah, you, you got to have the radar up with him, right? You don't, you don't, you don't want to cross him at the wrong moment. All right. That's a pretty good one. What, what else you got for me? Uh, so let's stick to the locker room before I get to a good one from Jeff Lerner. So this happened, um, after the last, so their last game at the end of the last season, the Eastern conference final against Toronto. Uh, clearly everyone remembers that match. Atlanta did everything that they needed to do to win that game. And they get beat by two worldly goals, um, by Toronto, Toronto steals the match. And listen, I've been in, in loss in locker rooms where Atlanta has lost. And then this one was a lot different. Like I actually remember thinking like, man, let's just, I'm just gonna be honest. I was kind of dreading going to the locker room after that match because it was just like a gut wrenching loss for them. They played probably one of their best games of the season, but they ended right there. And remember, they were playing for a chance to host MLS Cup. So it was like all there for them on a platter. Mm-hmm. And so, so we go in and like there aren't a lot of players available. I think Michael Parker's, um, you know, graciously came out and spoke to the team or to, to the reporters. Uh, uh, Brad Guzan then came out and spoke to reporters. And then I remember LGP, Landry Gonzalez Perez, um, who he, he tended to, you know, Win or loss, he was kind of like that one guy of the you know the South Americans that was always available, and so he starts a scrum and he's just visibly very upset. Um, and remember, at the time, not only did they lose, but him and a lot of other players still weren't sure what was going to happen with their contracts, were they going to be back? And so sure. he starts fielding all these questions about, first of all, like, why didn't DeBoer make any subs? And and this is all Spanish-speaking reporters. At this point, it was just a scrum of, like, the local Spanish media. So they're, like, kind of peppering with these, like, tactical questions. And they go right in. They go straight in to, like, to not, you know, they constructively criticize DeBoer's decision. Like, why didn't he sub? And, like, you know, LGP gives an answer. But he's, like, short answer, very upset. Um, and after he kind of gets through the point, like, what are you going to do with your, like, what's the status of your contract? Again, he's like, I don't know. No one's called me. And so it's getting like, it's getting dicier that you can feel the tension. Yep. And the, the staffer's like, okay, one more question guys. And the last question is asked by a guy who I, I respect a lot. He's hilarious. He's, he's a, he's a local guy here. Spanish speaking tends to ask great questions, but he's the only guy I've ever seen that's made Tata Martino mad during a press conference because of the type of questions he asks. And so we're walking away and he asked one more question to Leandro Gonzalez Perez. And he's like, Hey, uh, Leandro, are you going to go to Seattle for the final? <laughs> Weird. And Leandro does like, you know how Italians and Argentines, like they do that thing with their hands where there's kind of, they're kind of like they're pinching, you know, pinching their fingers and they're like shaking them in front of their face. And so he does like, <laughs> he pinches his fingers and he's like, 
what did you just ask me? <laughs> oh, why would I go to Seattle? And he's like, I mean, are you going to the final? It's in Seattle. You know, now it's Seattle, Toronto. Are you going to go? And he was like, no, I'm not going to the final. No. <laughs> and so everyone like, like, no one laughed. It was like this awkward yeah, silence. Yeah, super awkward. Thinking, yeah. He just asked that question. Oh, yeah, oh. cringe, cringe moment for sure. Um, okay, you were teasing this one earlier. You told me a little bit about it. I'm interested to hear the whole story with uh, with Jeff Lorenowitz. So yeah, Jeff. I mean, he's a great, great interview. He's probably I, I tend to say openly, he's probably the, the best interview here at Atlanta United. Atlanta United. Just like if you get him on a good on a good day or any day, he's always open. And um, I think if you get him alone on a call or on a one in one interview, that's when you can get a lot out of him. And so, um, and the last time I had him over the phone, we were talking about just his his days playing for the LA Galaxy. Uh, and, and if you think, I think the one thing that I r- realized sometimes forget is that these guys, less players, career guys, sometimes they find themselves like sharing a locker room with, you know, international players that they truly admire, that they, that, that they've watched play in the premier league or anywhere on the world. And all of a sudden they're their teammates. And so right. that was the case with Lerneritz and, and Steve, Steven Gerard, he, you know, Lerneritz played with Gerard at, at the galaxy. And so I asked him once, I was like, what was it like, man? Like playing with Steven Gerard. Um, and he said it was unbelievable. He was like, it was unbelievable. Like I, he's, he's like, I love two way players. I loved watching him play, uh, essentially a big like fanboy for Gerard. And all of a sudden he, he, you know, he should, he's, his locker was right next to Gerard's locker. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he gave uh, some, some anecdotes about how, how nice the guy he was. He was down to earth humble, but I'm like, yeah, but like on the field, like what was it like seeing him in training and what was the one thing that you, that you noticed? And so, the one thing that I mean, Lorna, I don't think I'd finished the question yet. And immediately he was like ball striking like this dude could ping balls across the field like n- no one he had ever seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I think and, that's fair. And to say. He had this <laughs> yeah. And like he, so he was talking he would talk about like they would at the end of practice, they would a couple guys would get together and just like ping balls, like diagonal balls to each other, just line drives. And like you'd have to control it, kind of like keep it in the air and then do it again. Um, and he said that Gerard tended to not do like kind of take part, but you know, one day he did and he just kind of owned everybody. Like his balls were like, he was just pinging balls, like so like just so plush, all this quality and like guys hung back just to watch him do that. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. and, and so he was like, you know, he had a, a rapport with everyone. And if you go back and think about that team, you know, you had Steven Gerard, Ashley Cole, Nigel DeJong, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Giovanni Dos Santos, and yes. Gio Dos Santos. Yeah. So Delorinus is telling these stories. Like I couldn't, I was sharing these, you know, the locker room with these guys. Sometimes I just wanted to be like a fly on the wall. And he said that one of the best, the guys that had the best stories was, was Ashley Cole. He was like, this just, you know, he could talk about soccer for days. He was like a super football junkie. Um, and you know, one day they're, they're in the meal room at the, at the galaxy training facility and the FA cup is on. Um, and they're all watching the FA cup and, and some, someone randomly asked, Hey, you know, to Ashley Cole, he's like, Hey, Ashley Cole, or Hey, Ashley, have you ever, have you ever won an, uh, you know, an FA cup? Um, and he's at the time he was just kind of like eating, you know, he didn't even look up, Lawrence told me he didn't even look up to see who had asked the question. He just said, yeah. And someone else asked Ashley Cole, well, how many times did you win? And he just said nonchalantly seven. <laughs> super casual just super just a casual, casual seven i wonder how many premier leagues he won probably four or five i would guess off the top of my head um yeah that's pretty incredible you kind of forget sometimes just that wild, you, know? you know a guy like lorenowitz right i've spoken to him for a story i wrote last year about how he when he came into the league in 2005 he was making twelve thousand dollars a year 
you know, that same year, Steven Gerrard, right? I believe it was 2005. Uh, I think that was Liverpool and, and kind of the miracle in Istanbul and the Champions League and him leading the charge there uh, against AC Milan um, from a 3-0 deficit to go in the game. So um, different, different, same same year, quite different times in their careers. <laughs> and then they end up sitting right next to each other in a locker room. And MLS has a lot of stories like that. And I think that's kind of interesting. It is. It's awesome. It's awesome. I think when you hear these stories and you remember that these guys, they're like global soccer stars and soccer players, but they're also just soccer players. Like, you know, Lawrence went on and talked about Ashley Cole was the one guy that always stayed after practice, wanted to do every single like challenge, like crossbar challenges, juggling challenges. There's a reason those guys are the best. Yeah. Yeah. And he would like try to ping balls into like buckets from far away and you know, he, he, at the time, he, you know, Lorenz was like, I think he was 35, you know, 30, 34, 35, and he still had it. And he was still that much into the game. I don't think Gerard was, uh, you know, I feel like when he was talking about Gerard, he was like, yeah, he didn't really, you know, stay after practice much, but, but actually, <laughs> Ashley Cole did. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Stevie G was maybe over it, enjoying the beach. Ashley Cole was more into it, even though I think he said one time he wasn't ready to go to MLS and enjoy the beach, but that's a different story. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for hopping on, Felipe. I appreciate it, man. All right, Sam. Take it easy. Take care. Be safe. You too, bud. Continuing our series of conversations with our fellow athletic writers about some fun stories uh, during this weird, stressful time um, that they've had in their careers covering soccer, I'm now joined by Meg Linehan. Meg, how's it going today? It's going pretty good. How how about you? Uh, you know, hanging in there best we can. Pretty good. I cannot complain. So um, all good. But let's uh, let's let's shed a little light in these weird times. Give me some funny stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that. You know, as much travel as I do for the U.S. national team, like obviously going to France for the World Cup and all that kind of stuff, I feel like some of the wildest stories have always come out of NWSL championships. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, even the first NWSL championship in 2013, it was in uh, Rochester, okay. right? Okay. Western New York Flash hosted Portland Thorns. Portland Thorns ended up winning. And that night, that was my first ever NWSL championship experience. Um, and I, I probably should have learned some lessons from that night, both in terms of how much <laughs> alcohol I can personally handle, but also just how absurd life will get. And it was because we knew some, some people from Portland in town, like, you know, Portland had actually kind of tried to, to travel. And so some of the Rose city riveters had, uh, you know, Merritt Paulson had opened a tab for them. And as okay. all of this is happening, I'm at the stadium still still writing, still trying to do some photos, all that kind of stuff. But they're off at, uh, I want to say it's Dinosaur Barbecue with a $1,000 open tab trying to actually hit that limit. And like, they walked <laughs> out of there with just bags and bags of barbecue meat. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get all the way there just on, on beer and, and, and drinks, huh? <laughs> they weren't. They weren't and it was, at that point, there weren't enough of them. Um, so by the time, you know, like the players are done and, and the writers are done and everybody knows, okay, Portland is going to end up at a party somewhere near wherever they're staying in Rochester. Um, and I, I got a text from one of the players, um, on the thorns being like, okay, this is where the spot is. We'll see you there later tonight. <laughs> and I just remember rolling in and it took us a while to get there. Like 
we were trying to like not have a car because we were like, okay, there's probably going to be drinking. And it was just, it was a real time. It was supporters, reporters, you know, people from the league, people from, from Portland, everywhere, the players, there was a drunken sing-along of Celine Dion. There you go. Um, I, Cindy Parlo-Cone, who's now president oh, wow. of U.S. soccer, yeah. giving a speech from like a bar stool. Like standing, so, standing up on the stool, yep, like addressing yep. the crowd. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Oh, so goodness. that was, that was like the first taste of it. And, um, I feel like I kind of got out of that one with most of my dignity intact. Relatively um, unscathed. Yeah. I mean, I think some other people that I know did not escape quite as well. <laughs> um, yeah, but then it, I just, it feels like it gets bigger and bigger every single time. And now there are these kind of like strange traditions and, you know, the nice thing about women's soccer, too, is that it's such a community, right? So mm-hmm. as much as, like, I might be a reporter or, you know, I work for the league, like, there was always a willingness to have me kind of be in, in some spaces that were, you know, maybe meant for fans. Like, yeah. they, I think that they are totally okay with us, you know, being in that kind of realm as well. But, like, I mean, now there's kind of this tradition of karaoke the night before the championship <laughs> okay um in orlando in 2017 we found a place called big daddy's <laughs> karaoke and there was a girl there that literally uh she was the tiniest human i've ever seen and she did um bodies by drowning pool which oh, i don't know man. If saw, but like involves a lot of screaming yeah she- is that's is that like the let the body sit the floor one is yeah, that exactly. okay yeah all right yep. and she killed it and she like she was so confused why like 50 strangers were in her regular karaoke spot losing their minds over her (laughs) this is the best thing we've ever seen that is a hell of a karaoke song Um, like you have to be able to pull it off in order to do it and she nailed it no you cannot have you cannot have asked that one you got to be all the way in did you so did you get up there and sing have you have you uh, participated Uh, in any of these there was a group there was a group song we did have as a place on earth um but yeah, by the end of it, it was just basically like literally every single Portland fan was on the stage. <laughs> so it was, you know, the usual uh, end of ASL championship event. But I think I think the weirdest one will always be 2015. The actual championship was in Portland, though it did not feature the Thorns. The Thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the big like Seattle Reign versus FC Kansas City. It was back to back championships. Yeah. The second one. Yeah. And Portland and Kansas City obviously won both of those games, but Kansas City had a party out on the town the night af- uh, of the championship, and um, the entire team rolled in. And like you know, I know Heather O'Reilly pretty well, and so like spoken with her. And then Becky Sauerbrunn rolls in in like this badass leather jacket <laughs> with like a Katniss Everdeen of Hunger Games level braid, just looking Very like nice. the coolest person. On- did she planet. have did she have a bow bow and some arrows as well or or was that <laughs> I mean you, I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but there is a photo that night like uh, a couple friends of mine decided okay we're going to ask Becky if we can buy her a shot. And so my friend goes up to her and is like, "Will you do shots with us? Like obviously we will pay for you." And she's like, "Yes, but all we will do is Jameson." <laughs> so there is a photo of me. They've given out these like terrible NWSL sunglasses like you know the ones that used to be like printed across you couldn't actually see anything oh, out of them yeah 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 so super there's a practical photo of me from that night next to becky sauerbrunn in her incredible leather jacket both wearing these glasses 
<laughs> he took one of my two pairs and then I have never like the the pair I had on my face disappeared that night. I have no idea. The next morning I woke up probably one of the most hungover experiences I've had in my life. Oh, and then man. did like soccer morning on Pacific time trying to sound intelligent about the NWSL championships. Yeah, so. God, I have a similar experience in Portland as a matter of fact, but we don't need to get into that here. It basically <laughs> involved I, I was working for RSL at the time. It was after the Western Conference final. The team had won in 2013. And so there was a big party the night after. We go get on the plane to go home the next day. And then they deplane us. Um, and, and we spent two and a half hours in the terminal. And I think the whole team went, went after it pretty hard, um, trying to, yeah. trying to cure the hangover with, with some hair of the dog. Um, so that plane ride home was interesting to say the least. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you did mention the, the community aspect of it. That's something we see, I think in MLS, probably not quite to the full extent. Um, but it is pretty cool how welcoming, uh, the women's soccer community is. That's one thing that I've always found. Um, I mean, I don't do much in the way of covering it, obviously, but I do have one story that I wanted to share, okay. and maybe this okay. will spark something in you. And I think I've told you this one, and I'll leave I'll leave the names out. But I was in Chicago at the time, living there, and an agent who I, I, I speak to every now and then was in town, and he was like, hey, come out. There's a few of us getting drinks, and I, I don't know who's there. But I'm like, okay, cool. And so I show up late, and they're, they're at dinner in this kind of fancier restaurant, and like it's full of women's national team players. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And it just turned into a whole night out. And I'll never forget one of the players we were driving around. <laughs> and this is when that, uh, I don't remember the name of this song. It's by Drake. It's like the the one that was like the challenge. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. like the yeah. Kiki, do you love me? That one. Yeah. Yeah. So that song comes on and one of the players <laughs> sitting next to me in the middle, um, in the middle seat of the back seat of this car. And she stands up. Um, as the car is moving through downtown Chicago on like a Tuesday or Wednesday night or whatever it is. And she stands up and, and, and like goes out the sunroof and is screaming this song, <laughs> the <top of> her <laughs> lungs, <laughs> which was fantastic. So, um, you know, then went on to win the world cup like a year later. So there you go. Um, that's my one yeah. women's no, soccer it's, story. It's very casual times with them. It They're is very good at, at drinking and yes, yes. <laughs> uh world champions in more ways than one right yeah um, very true i mean i think we saw it firsthand in 2019 when they <laughs> <laughs> got on the plane and never stopped for a week yes the instagram stories were indeed legendary um all right well you got anything else meg is that is that I the think, is that the full i think those are the the high or the low lights depending on <laughs> <laughs> well i certainly enjoyed them um so thank you for for taking the time and uh hopefully everyone out there listening got a few laughs as well awesome thank you thank you meg all right have a good one you too